Prepare today for your transition tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Pantani, and I want to welcome you to the Transition Drill Podcast. I'll be talking with guests about their career journey and seeking their advice to help those planning a similar change. Joining me today is Jody Martinez. He joined the Marine Corps when he was 22 years old and ultimately served 17 years in the military. I'll let him explain the details. He had deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, and in 2017, his final separation was forced due to a medical injury. From this unplanned career change, he took the opportunity to go back and get his bachelor's degree, and today he's an investigator for a due diligence company. In our conversation, we talk about his getting out of the Marine Corps the first time, and then back into the Marine Corps. His original lack of a transition plan, his experience with trying to become a police officer, his time spent helping veterans, and his experience with the remote corporate hiring process. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's get into episode 13. I want to start by first saying thank you to Jason Medina and Dedicated Jiu-Jitsu here in Temecula for giving us the opportunity to use his studio to record this. And speaking of Jiu-Jitsu, the list of martial arts that you've not done is probably shorter than the list of martial arts that you have done. How'd you get into martial arts? Um, well, I mean, like any other kid um, growing up, just watching kung fu movies, uh, Saturday morning kung fu movies. So I really got into, I don't know, I just wanted to, that aspect of it, just the, the, the strength. And I was always a little kid too from my, uh, was, um, from my age. Um, Compared to like all your other friends, you're always on the small yeah. side. Yep. So growing up, I was always a smaller kid. And um, I don't know, just wanted to feel, seeing the, these guys on TV doing these like wonderful things and this fighting. I was like, oh man, you know, they can take care of themselves. And those Kung Fu movies are like jumping around all over the place. And <laughs> But what it what interested me more was the their training aspect of it, like them getting ready. I was like, oh, this master's taking this kid who doesn't know anything, who's getting beat up. And he's putting him through these crazy training, like carrying uh, uh, jugs of water with their fingertips and and um, like there was a Jackie Chan one where he was like, oh, you want water? It's in the well. So he, and he gave him a boulder and he was like, all right, if I drop this boulder, throw it in the, wa- in the well, water splashes up, I can get it. And he's like, oh man, but I can't, I can only do that once. So he ties a rope to the boulder and then he's like dropping it and then water comes up and he gets, oh, he uses the rope, puts it back up, does it again. And he did it so much that he was just that by the end he was just throwing this big old boulder into the well Doosh, and he would like throw the boulder up and he'd just do a technique and power push it down harder so he gets more water splashed up and he was able to take a shower was able to drink some water so i was like oh man i want to be able to do that type of stuff so when the opportunity showed up um my parents were like yeah you want to do karate so i jumped on a case and um now, in, where I was in Plainfield, New Jersey, there was this program, it was called Police Athletic League, where they had sports, they take the kids and they put them in these sports, and it was sponsored by the police department there. Um, so it was uh, karate, I think basketball, and, and some other stuff. The only thing I knew about was the karate. And it was at a YMCA, I mean, it was like 20 bucks a month. And how um, old are you at this point? 11. Okay. So I uh, started doing that, and then that was what introduced me and then the type of the karate that it was Shotokan and Shotokan is probably like one of the hardest style there is. Um, their focus is all about strength and power and, and stability and technique. And um, so I really got into that and that just opened the door and I just wanted more and more. I just got thirsty for more thirsty and hungry for more. Um, then after that I did Taekwondo competitively and I also, uh, so 
my school, my karate school, my dojo was, had two levels to it. There was the kids that we did regular Shotokan. We went to tournaments, we competed, we do that. But then there were the adults. And that's where my sensei's master was. He taught the adult classes, which is a self-defense class. Right. Um, now, the movies, Kung Fu movies, his master actually did that. So his master was born in Japan. It was during the war. Um, the dad left him over there. And uh, the mom took him up to a Buddhist monastery and left him at the door. So the black guy at a Buddhist monastery, he grew uh, he grew with the monks and they taught martial arts there. Um, so for their 13th birthday, they would have to come down to towns and they would challenge black belts. They go to the dojos and challenge the black belts, the 13 year old monk against your sensei. Wow. And if they lost, they take their sign and they go back up to the hill and have some rice. So, he came to the States and he saw that the street fights, he, it was in, uh, in New York. He was from New York. Came to the state because there are many died. street fights in New York. Though. Oh, no, 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 not many. <laughs> street, especially Harlem where he was from. You know, not that many. Um, but he saw that, oh, this martial arts stuff isn't going to work. This was like the 70s. Um, he was like, this martial arts stuff isn't going to work in the streets. So he changed it to make it more suitable for the street. And it was, and this isn't like, competition type of thing that yo, you know let's move here and then these moves and techniques and then this is to do the fancy type of stuff this is because the what they learned a lot was the japanese jiu-jitsu aikido those traditional japanese style stuff that's what he learned um but then he incorporated all that stuff and turned it into like a street style stuff so they didn't teach that to kids in order for you to be in that class you had to be over 18. Um, and the class was full with like cops and, 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 um, um, but was his dojo still affiliated with the police athletic commission? No, his wasn't. Um, he, well, during that time, he basically, um, followed us cause we would, we didn't have a set dojo. Like we were in the YMCA at one point, we were at a, um, a fire station at another point. Wherever he could find a, space. Yeah, there was a, a, a train station. A, a old train station that wasn't being used because they built a new one like further down the line. So that wasn't being, we were there for a while. So we were like these, you know, hobos of the martial <laughs> arts world. <laughs> um, Have gee will travel. Yes. But uh, it was, it was cool. Cause the people that stuck with it, like we, I'm still in contact with them now and we, we became a family, you know? Yeah. But I just make, made me thirsty for more. Like I would see the adults over there doing some like weird stuff and, and uh, Papa San, he's, he's the, the, our grandmaster. He was like, Papa San over there, he's like this little old black guy, Navy vet. You know, he has like a little limp, has a bad hip. And I just see him taking these big old like narc cops. Like, and he just, bam, like he's, bake, like he's making a pizza. And I'm like, holy crap, I want to be able to do that. He was like, no, you got to be old enough. So the whole time, it was kind of like something I'm striving for. Like I'm training here, you know, but I see that over there. I'm like, oh, man. So I want to do that. And then once I got into Taekwondo, um, I was able to do that. So I was doing Taekwondo and I was doing, uh, I was with Papa-san. Um, and when you are, that community so small, um, all the masters know each other. Uh, I forgot what the na actual name of the, the, the um, style is. He invented it. It's called like Gosu Kwan. I forgot what it is. But he invented it, and then, like, the number of masters that are involved in that is, like, kind of in one hand, and they all talk to each other. 
So when you became a student under them, I mean, it was like you are a student. It was kind of like a, a Jedi and an apprentice. So I was always, there was Papasan, and anywhere he went, I would go. And there was an older, an older brother of mine. He was been there with Papasan longer than I was. So I was kind of like the younger brother, and he was my older brother. And then we had Papasan. And then we kind of grew, but like it was only, there was always an inner circle. People would come and go. They wanted to do the classes. They wanted to do for self-defense, but there was always like an inner circle. It was like four or five of us. Kind of an adopted family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we call him Papasan. So um, that just started. And then just how he, how he spoke about martial arts. And when he would get together with the other masters, like we would go out to eat like after a tournament or after we go see a fight or whatever, we go out to eat and these masters would, sit across from you and uh you know all the students are on one side and all the masters on the other and you just see him i mean i saw papa sign and one of the other masters talking for 30 minutes about the 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 science behind a roundhouse kick and they were saying like oh no the power is in the heel you know they were talking about like torque and blah blah like no 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 it's in the it's in the knee you know and i'm like <laughs> getting into an argument oh my <laughs> yes like a roundhouse kick and they talk for like 30 minutes and they they listen to each other's, you know, each other's facts and points like, okay, so when this, blah, and, then blah, and they were just, everything else disappeared. It was just them two. They're talking about a roundhouse kick. But the thing is, it's interesting is, so you're probably at this time, what, 13, 14, um, maybe? Uh, with Papa Sao, once I become 18. Okay. But even at 18 years old, for you to have the maturity to be interested enough to pay attention to what they were saying as opposed to uh, those old guys are just talking. Yeah. You know, it says something about, about how much you were dedicated to the learning the trade. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, well, I learned there once uh, the first school, like um, there were two, three senseis we had. It was Mike, Mike and John. Um, one, John was a, actually he was a doctor. He was an x-ray tech. Um, worked at the hospital. One Mike was a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and the other Mike was a um, a cop. So he was a cop in our town. And like, those were like, dad, they basically helped raise me. So I had like, I always said I would have four dads, my, my actual dad, and then then three. So everything I learned, if you're going to do something, be the best. Uh, nobody's coming to help you. So you need to work and just yeah, soak up knowledge wherever you go. Like I learned that from those three. Those are like my three wise men. So, and then I take that to heart. Everything I do, I try to be the best at it. And I try to make it to where I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody's help. I would like people's help. Um, and then I just soak up everything I can when I'm in the room. Now, is New Jersey home for you, born and raised? I was born in the Dominican Republic. And so when did you come to I was five, five years old when I went to New Jersey. A little bit of a culture shock? Oh, yeah, to say the least. Did oh, you at man. least get a buffer between the Dominican Republic and the winters in New Jersey? No. Went right into the winter, went right into a school. Um, so the first school that I went to, into uh, kindergarten, it was bilingual. And then the first grade was bilingual. Second grade was not bilingual. Second grade was all English. I learned how to speak English watching cartoons. <laughs> I would watch Warner Brothers, Bugs Bunny and stuff, and that's how I learned how to speak English. What brought your family here? A better life. Um, my mom, my mother's sister had already been living in New Jersey for a while. So it was just like, you know, come here, come with your family here. We'll sponsor you because you need a sponsor to come live. So we came, brought the whole family, 
And uh, yeah, I've been here ever since. Now, where did the desire for military and even when we'll get into this law enforcement come from? Um, military, I think growing up, same thing with martial arts. I just, I seen my dad in the Dominican Republic had a, a movie theater. Oh, okay. And he would show Westerns. That was his thing. He was a big Western fan. Loved Clint Eastwood. That was his man. Um, and I would see these, these cowboys and stuff. And he would show like old war movies too. Um, um, so I would see these movies and, and I just like, man, I want to be these, like, these guys are badasses. Like, that's what I want to be. I want to be a badass. So I guess that's what drove me is like martial arts. You know how to fight. You're a badass. Like military guys, they're badasses. They shoot guns. I like guns. So growing up, my dad had a video camera. He recorded all the family outings. Um, and you always see me performing in front of the camera. Like I'm in a war. <laughs> like I'm throwing bombs, throwing grenades and stuff. Like, He's like putting, putting, putting on my own, my own scene, right? Of combat, how combat would be. Um, yeah. And like, since I was like six, seven, I was doing that. Um, so it's, it's always been like in my blood. And then I'd, I was pushed into the military. I wasn't really going to go into the military, but I was living with my older brother at the time. I was doing martial arts, like martial arts, my life, but I was living with my older brother and I had like a dead end job and I was just, this is post high school. Yes. So post high school. Um, so, and the town that we're in, in Plainfield, New Jersey, it's not, you know, your ritzy type of, in order for you, like college isn't a dead thing for us. I, I'd never even prepared for college, never even thought I was going to go for college. And he, we saw the only way to go to college was either your parents went to college or you play sports. Yeah, you get a scholarship. So college not encouraged by your parents? No. Um, and, and the reason why I ask that is so I'm like you, I'm first generation here. My dad was born in Italy. And I remember as a kid growing up, college was never talked about. It, when you get done, go to school, yeah. get done with high school, but go get a job. Yep. That's what was told to me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um, there's like, go to school. As I like, go to school, go to school. It was like, but it's high school and then get a good job so you can get a good job. But yeah. then, I mean, a good job for them was, you know, being a truck driver, um, working at the same uh, factory that they're working at. So you come work at the factory with us. Like my parents, both my parents had two jobs um, and they worked at the same place, same factories. They go from one job to the other job then they come home and then my mom would have to cook and take care of us and and uh so we saw that and my friend's family everybody all families were the exact same way um so we were like okay so after high school gonna get a job that's our thing what about college like, yeah we don't go to college there's only only people that are good at sports and people that have money to go to college go to college so we didn't know anything about scholarships or anything and you would have worked at whatever company for your entire rest yeah. of your adult life so, and like I got turned on to a company I was driving uh, for a pharmaceutical company. They supplied pharmaceuticals to nursing homes. So all the pharmaceutical, all the drugs that they needed, like whether from Tylenol to morphine. And um, um, so I had a, my brother work there, my older brother worked there, him and a friend. They did that. So like, oh, come work. Come, yeah, get a come job. Work, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then I was driving meds throughout the entire Jersey and I was doing martial arts um, but like, besides that, my life was not going, I was hanging out on the weekends with the boys, hanging out in the streets. And then I got arrested. Um, and then my brother bailed me out and he goes, not for fighting, right? No, not for fighting. <laughs> I hate, I don't like fighting. I used to tell you the truth. 
Isn't that how it is, though, with probably <laughs> most people who truly know how to fight? The last thing they want to do is be in a fight. Yeah, uh, that's why I, <laughs> um, I don't know if I can fight yet because I don't I avoid fights. But. Yeah, so I was arrested. Um, there was some vehicle stuff. And then my brother went to bail me out and he was like, you're not going anywhere. Like, he actually did go to college. Um, he's like, you're not going anywhere. So you either join the military or you get your own place to live. Like, you're not living with me anymore. Oh, so it was your brother who kind of tough love. Oh, yeah. Yep. And how I got into the Marine Corps is I had a friend. He went into the Marine Corps. Like, it was funny. He got, I was a lifeguard before the Marine Corps. So he got bullied. I mean, he got bullied. He got beat up by one of our mutual friends. And then like three days after that, I was like, oh, Douglas enlisted in the Marine Corps. I'm like, what? Like this guy? Okay. So he came to visit. He was on leave. He came home to visit. Um, and then he was talking to us about his time in the military and all that stuff. And my brother was like, oh, you should join the Marine Corps. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm good. Um, they got too many regulations. I know. I was like, what? Like, but you like that stuff. Yeah, like on TV. <laughs> but I was 11 at the time. I know, I'm 18 now. Exactly. So, but yeah, once he bailed me out, like as soon as he, I saw him, he's like, and he told me right at the, at the police station, he's like, you either join the military, join the Marine Corps. He didn't say military. He's like, join the Marine Corps or go find your place to live. I was like, I guess I'm joining the Marine Corps. And so you're how old at this point? I am 21, 21 at that time. And. Going into the military, what were you thinking as far as your future? Were you thinking like long-term no or? No, there was no future. And that was the problem with us. Um, I'm not the, I wasn't the only one. Like we don't think, we don't plan for the future. It's just, that's just not a thing during me growing up. Even my friends around us, like we lived for the moment. Like I live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, we don't think like, let's put some away for a rainy day. It's like <laughs> rainy day. It's not raining now. So, um, which is, which isn't good. But yeah, so like joining the Marine Corps is just, I didn't even think about oh, what I want to do while in the Marine Corps. I just like enlist. They're going to tell me what yeah, I'm going to do. Yeah, they're going like, to enlist. I, it's kind of like uh, steps. <laughs> like I'll deal with that step when I get to it. So yeah, it was, um, got pushed into the Marine Corps and I just didn't know if it was going to be a long-term thing, a short-term thing. I was like, holy crap, I'm joining the Marine Corps. So once you're in at any point, did it change or, or what, what became your trajectory once you were in the Marine Corps and you could kind of see the bigger picture? Once I got into the Marine Corps, um, actually like right before I got into the Marine Corps, the recruiter that I had, the recruiter that I had was pretty, pretty cool, but it wasn't just a recruiter. When he brought me, I was like the easiest recruit that they had ever did. I would call them and I was like, hey, I want to enlist. He goes, uh, okay, let's go take your ASVAB. So I took the ASVAB and he goes, you can do whatever you want. I was like, I want infantry. This is the only job that I knew in the Marine Corps. It was the infantry. I was like, oh, there's more, from there's the war more movies, than that. From the war movies. He goes, your abs up is good. You can do whatever you want. I was like, I want infantry. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then, but he asked me that. There were other recruiters um, in the office. And there was this one recruiter I remember to his left. And this guy had like the cami netting. He had like the expended rounds all over the place. This guy was like huge. He had the tattoos. You know, he had like the campaign cover because he was a drill instructor too. And uh, hanging up, I'm like, man, I'm like, oh man, I want to be a badass. That guy's a badass. That's what I want to be. And uh, uh, he was like, what do you want to be? I was like, I want to be infantry. And the guy, I noticed the guy, he kind of like, oh, he must have been infantry. To this day, I don't know what he is, but he must have been because he looked and he was like, he did that and just like looked away. I'm like, yeah, I want to be infantry. I want to be infantry. So, yeah, and then... Uh, Almost that silent approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because my actual recruiter, he was um, 
he was an air winger. I don't know exactly what he did in air wing, but uh, two sides of the Marine Corps. There's the ground side and there's the air wing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we won't go down that we path. We won't go down that path. <laughs> so, yeah, but then, like, from that point, um, just being the process of MAPS, of going in, getting uh, uh, your exams, getting everything done, going through that whole process in order to go to boot camp. They split us apart. They're like, anybody who's going to Marine Corps, you guys are over here. Army over here. Air Force over here. Navy over here. The Marine Corps group, there was like four of us. The other groups were like 12, 15, 17, 20. And like, oh, those must be the Marines over there. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, there was two things. I was like, okay, this is either cool. Why are we the smallest yeah. So I was like, this is either going to be a cool thing or I made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, but once you start going around and, and I think, that from that moment, they branded Marine on you. So I haven't even been to boot camp yet, but it, I felt what it's like the different treatment that we got being a Marine. I was like, oh, actually, a smaller group. Like, oh, we already hit it off. We're already buddies. They're over there. I don't know what they're doing over there. So it just felt different. So, like, okay. And it just felt the closer I got to boot camp, I was like, okay, the, the, the right, more, the writer it fell. Um, so, I don't know at what point it was where I decided, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be the best. Like, I want to be the best Marine that the Marine Corps has ever seen. And so that's how I went into boot camp. So before boot camp, I couldn't run a mile. <laughs> like, we actually had to run a mile and a half for maps. Um, yeah, I had I stopped like three or four times and just put my hands on the map. <laughs> like, I'm not in shape, man. Like, I couldn't. I mean, the sports that I did was swimming. I swam a lot. I did my martial arts and I played basketball. I was like, if it's not the length of a basketball field, the basketball court, like yeah, uh, that's too mile far. stuff. Yeah, I know. Or running from the cops. It was like, and then playing field cops stopped chasing you after two blocks. <laughs> so yeah, and they're like, I got better stuff to do, man. Let me go bust this drug dude instead of following this kid that broke a window or something. So I was like, after two blocks, like, yeah, I'm good. But then they made us keep going. I'm like, well, how far are we going, man? <laughs> like, it's just a mile and a half. I'm like, ha, ah, this is far. Like, well, yeah, in boot camp, you're going to run three miles. I was like, oh, crap. I think I made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, that, I went into that. You know, I was like, I, I got to be the best. Like, if I'm going to do this from my upbringing, if I'm going to do this, be the best. So, and that's what I did. I tried my hardest. And your first enlistment was how many years? My first enlistment, um, it was supposed to be four years, but I got in, involuntarily extended due to the uh, the um, invasion of Iraq. So I went in in 99. Um, technically, it was April of 99, but I enlisted in January. Um, and then I got out in 2003, August, September timeframe. Now, that, tr that f exit out, was that something you wanted to do? No, yeah. no thought of... Yep. Re-enlisting? No, there. You know, there was in the back of my head. Um, no, there, there was like I, I, I wanted to do. I wanted to stay in. I wanted. I. This is where I belong, and it was in the back of my head. But because in infantry, like that's all guys talk about is getting out. You do your four and get out. There are few guys that stay in, and those are the guys that grow up to be sergeant majors and stuff. And like, I'm not gonna be a sergeant major. Like, that's not. That's not what I do. Like, I'm. I'm a ground pounder like i'd shoot a rifle or whatever and so that was our thing four and done so everybody's like oh man i can't wait to get out i'm gonna do this when i get out i'm gonna do that when i get out um and then i met my wife too so i got married in my first enlistment and 
she she had two deployments in like her first two years of being married to me. Welcome to the Marine Corps. Yeah. So she was like, I thought she was like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? And then, um, then she asked if, if you get out, are we going back to Jersey? I'm like, hell no, I'm not going back to Jersey. It's cold over here. I'm staying in California. But, and that's what I had in my head four and done. That's what you do. You do four and you get out, you get out as a Lance Corporal in the infantry. That's a successful tour. You get out as a corporal. Okay. You were a badass. You get out as a Sergeant. You were, we would call it a water walker. So you walk on water and within your first four years. Um, and I got out as a Sergeant in my first four years. So, oh, wow. yeah. well, like you said, you went in with the mindset of, I'm going to be the best Marine I can yeah. be. And that's how, I mean, that's how I was even in boot camp. In boot camp, I always had to be the loudest. My rack had to be made the tightest. My weapon had to be the cleanest. My boots had to be the shiniest. I walked straighter when we march. Um, I wasn't the fastest <laughs> by no means, and I wasn't the strongest. Um, they, we had an Ironman, uh, the platoon Ironman. Whoever could do, whoever's the, what's the best at PT? The three-mile run, your pull-ups, and your crunches. And um, I had the crunches, and I had pull-ups. But that run, oh, man. <laughs> your kryptonite. Oh, huh? my gosh. You know, and uh, we were first, like, doing our workouts, and uh, the DIs were looking at me. And, I, I mean, push-ups were no thing. I, I did martial arts for most of my life. So, um, push-ups were no So, we were, like, doing push-ups. And I was like, got a DI. coming like, oh, hey, they recruit. You're going to be our next Ironman. I'm like, oh, I am. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, type of thing. And then we did the run. And I was in the back. <laughs> and I was like, nah, no, you're not. <laughs> and like, nope. No, not not. unless I can get a ride. Exactly. I can get an Uber. <laughs> so coming out the first time, and we'll get to the fact that you ended up going back in, what was your game plan for your future? Be a cop. And how'd that? And so to backtrack a little bit, so because I like that stuff, um, in the Dominican Republic, a lot of my family were cops over there. And then Mike, from Mike, Mike and John, he was a cop. And uh, to this day, I still like, he's like a father figure to me. I still like hit him up and stuff. And um, he's always there. And he's always been there. And he always be there. He was like so much support while I was in boot camp. He wrote me tons of letters. He would send me pictures of, you know, how the team was doing. And, and it was pretty cool. So he was a good support structure for me, especially because at that time, my family was, my family went back to the Dominican Republic. My parents and they took my younger brothers with me. It was just me, my older brother, and my older sister here, two older sisters. So. And they had their life to live. So, like, I was basically, like, alone in boot camp. Everybody else would get letters and stuff. I don't get anything. Like, for graduation, like, nobody came to my graduation. But that was, that was fine with me. I got my right. That just let me do my thing. So. In a sense, I would imagine for your family, it's all, not to underplay it, but it was all, hey, that's just his job. He's just at yeah. work. Yep. And that's how they saw it. Like, it wasn't, like, this big thing. Um, but. And actually, before going into the boot into the Marine Corps, I tried to be a cop in Plainfield. Uh, Mike was like, "You just got to score high enough on the exam, and I'll pull you in." He was a lieutenant at the time. He was like, "I'll pull you in. We got you. You just score high enough on the exam." Didn't score high enough on the exam, so I had to be within like one to thirty in order for him to pull me. And I, I was like, I didn't take it serious. I think I was like fifty-five or something. Um, so he wasn't able to do it, and I was like, "Oh crap!" That's when I started working with my brother. So it's kind of that Im you're talking about, you know, even though you had the discipline from the martial arts, there was the immaturity yeah. of just your age, mm -hmm. hanging out on the weekends, yep. kind of getting into trouble. And yep. so same thing kind of applied when it came time to take the test. Yep. So, uh, yeah, didn't take it serious. So, but I, I really wanted to be a cop, but I didn't 
want to put into work? No, I wanted to put into work, but this was like academics. Like I'm got to take a test. Like this isn't, I'm not, I don't want to just put me on the street. Right. Like, train me and put me in the street. Like I'm good. I can take care of myself. Like I work under Papasan. I'm good. <laughs> I'll be all right. You know? So when it came to like writing, taking tests, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is not, this is, I, this sucks. Um, but I really did want to be a cop. Like I, I badges and, and every time Mike would come around, he'd like tell a story. He was like, oh man, he was narc too. He was like, oh man, so we're chasing this dude and blah, blah, blah. The fights that he got into, like, oh, that's so cool. And I see the, these guys, so narcs, there was the PD that was on one side and then the narcs were in, on the third story of a building that was across the street. But they were on the way from from school to my house. We always crossed in front of them. So like one day we're walking, I'm t- looking back and I'm talking to my buddies, blah, blah, blah. And I turn around and I ran into one of them. Wow. And this dude was so big. His badge, he had around his neck, hit me in my forehead. Right? And I'm like, I'm just here staring at this badge. I'm like, I look up and this dude has like a big old beard. And he's like, what's up, little dude? I'm like, Hello, sir. He's like, go ahead. I'm like, oh, okay. And there's like four or five of them or something. And they're like walking. Then Mike comes out. I was like, hey, Jody, what's up? I'm like, sir, what's up, man? I'm like, oh, it was just like, I don't know. It's kind of like how people see like special forces now. Like you be in a room with special forces, like you know they're special forces. Like that's how I felt around these guys. They're like, oh, man. Like, they were your super, yeah, superheroes. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, I want to be a cop. I was like, oh, you got to take a test to be a cop? I go, no, I'm good. <laughs> you wanted to be the one hour on TV cop where it's just all the 100 mile an hour stuff. Yes, yes. That was me. Just put me in the street. I'm good. Like, oh, what do you mean? Write reports. What is that? What's a report? <laughs> Wait a minute. Why do I got to spend five hours writing reports exactly. on something I did for five um, minutes? Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, so I always wanted to be a cop. And then, um, yeah, so that just didn't happen. It kind of, I kind of like, broke my spirits or like, oh, like maybe I'm not smart enough to be a cop. So man, what was your question again? Coming out of the Marine Corps the first time. Yeah. So coming out of the Marine Corps the first time. So while I was in the Marine Corps, I was like, yeah, I already know I'm going to be a cop. Like that's, that's what I want to do. So got out of the Marine Corps and I tried to be a cop. And because I got out. So when I got out, it was 2003. So we were, I was part of the invasion of Iraq. Um, so yeah, our experience there, I mean, it was combat. Like we saw everything and it was like bad combat too. So got, I got out of the Marine Corps and I thought, I thought you'd be all right, man. Just, I just want to be a cop. So I tried a couple of times and they're kind of like, uh, were you here in California or yeah. did you go back home? Nope. I was here in California. Um, and actually you know, to throw people onto the bus over oh, Riverside PD. <laughs> um, so I tried out for Riverside PD. Um, my sister-in-law, she works for Riverside. Actually my brother-in-law, he's still in Riverside. Um, so they were like, come to Riverside, dude. Like, we'll take you. Uh, they, they hooked me up with one of their, I guess he was a recruiter or something for, uh, the PD. He was a Marine. So met up with him. We always did brought me to the office. Well, I, he was like, all right, so this is what's going to happen. Told me the lowdown with what was going to happen. I was like, all right. He's like, dude, you're a show. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. The then, last thing you needed to hear because you're probably then not uh, applying yourself. No, no, I wasn't. And, oh, and I wasn't. No, what, I, what I mean by it is like kind of not taking it as seriously as maybe you needed to. Oh no, I took it serious. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I took it at this point in my life, like because of my, uh, uh, my first enlistment was kind of a rebirth for me into the person I am now. Um, so trying out for Riverside, I did, did the exam, did good in the exam, their fitness, I smashed their fitness. They're like, heck yeah, we want this guy. Um, and then the interview came up. And then everybody kept telling me, hey, just be honest. You know, they're going to, you're going to get interviewed. Like, just be honest. I was like, 
Okay, I'll be honest. Uh, now, the immortal have, last words. Have you seen Major Payne? Yeah. Okay, remember when he tried to be a cop? <laughs> That's what happened. They gave me scenarios. They gave me, I was like, oh, you did something. And I was a little aggressive. I was a little high strung as a young sergeant, you know. You don't deal Marine, with right? police problems the way you deal no, with them as a Marine. No, you do not. And it's just not. not Frag grenades uh, usually aren't number one yeah, on the list. No, like, that, that's a lot of reports. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it wasn't just like the scenario based questions that they asked. Like all the questions in general. Like, I was pretty, like I was in a nice suit. And I thought I was laid back. But like looking back now, I was like, holy crap, like I said that that's pretty aggressive. Like my entire my entire ego, my entire aura was a pretty aggressive. Like I I don't know, dude, I was in Iraq. I was in Afghanistan like two months ago. Um so they didn't like that. Well, you bring up a a great point because in some of the people that I've talked to doing this podcast, one of the things that they've said is for military members and law enforcement members making that transition into the private sector is trying to tone down yeah. that it's a demeanor that we don't even realize we present, mm -hmm. but to somebody who's not in that world, you might as well be hitting them with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it's, and it's kind of like trying to stop a train that's going 200 miles an hour, like slam on the brakes. Like, Oh, I'm going to slide, keep sliding <laughs> for a while. You know, there's no rubber on these wheels. It's right. going to keep going. Um, so it was, it was, and, and it felt normal to me. Like, this is how it was. Like, Marines, especially grunts, is we're, we're abrasive, we're rude, we're, but that's what we, we were what we needed to be to come back home. Yes. And not only was I coming back home, but my Marines that were under me were going to come back home. So, we had the attitude that we did because we needed that attitude. When we go into somewhere, into some place, we can't be second-guessing each other. We can't be, you know tapping on the brakes because that little tap on the brakes that you just did, that just gave them the time that they needed to refit, rearm and reload. And now, we, you know, just stuff went south. So when you make a choice, we make a decision, follow it full force, go straight ahead. You know, do not get up any ground because that giving up that ground can mean your life or your buddies to left and right. And so we were aggressive. Marines were aggressive. That is they Marines are aggressive. Um, <laughs> But for us in it, it just seems normal. Right. You have your gut. And now looking back, I'm like, holy crap. So I'm aggressive. But the people that I thought were aggressive, and I'm like, oh, man, that's another level. Um, but when you come out of that environment into this environment, it doesn't mix well. No. It doesn't jive. It's, it's kind of like rubberneckers. You know, at a crash site, at a wreck, which is this past one up, like, you know, coming down here. People are just like stopping. Oh, is that like, what the oh. helicopter floating above was for? No, they're doing some type of construction up there because oh, I see okay. all kinds of crews. Um, the wreck, it wasn't even that much of a, it was just the um, rear end. But there's people rubbernecking. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? It's I'm a like, traffic accident. I know. And I'm like, because I've seen so many wrecks, you know, working, I'm like, oh, it's a wreck. And you just keep going. No bodies? No. Okay, I'm good. No report. I mean, I still think like, oh crap, we gotta write. No, I don't gotta write a report for that. <laughs> um, so, but the people don't see that on a regular basis. So they're like, oh, what's happening? You know, the big eyes and they're stopped. They're the ones that are messing up traffic. The wreck, the wrecks were already on the side of the road. They were moved off. But people were like, oh. And then that's how it is for us. Like they don't see us on a regular basis. They don't um, um, enact with us. So when they do see us, and when we are ourselves, and we're not trying to you know, put up a front like, Oh yes, I am good. Thank you very much. They're like, 
oh, what are you, what's wrong with you? Like, you okay? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Am I okay? Like, yo, I'm okay. Are you okay? Yeah, so it's like a different world. And then we f- that makes us feel out of place. Like, I kind of still feel out of place. You it's, know? Hard, it's hard to turn off being in control mm-hmm. to not being in control. Yeah. And when you're, when you're projecting that to somebody, it's difficult to tone that down, to, you know, blend in with your environment, so yes, to speak. Exactly. Yeah. And then that's a, that's a good thing you say about blending into your environment. Cause it's, you would think it, you think we were civilians before we were military or civilians before we were cops. You think we would just be like, Oh yeah, psh, flip a switch. Go back to being a civilian. Like, no, can't flip that switch. That that switch has been flipped. Well, and it's it's a different kind of switch. I mean, yeah. You granted, you were in the Marine Corps for six years, but what you experienced in six years, there are people who will never experience any level of that in their entire life. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you have to create a mindset of I'm going to do whatever it takes to get me and my guys home, and to then just turn that off when you come out. It doesn't work that way. And that command bearing, it's not a negative thing, but it can be perceived as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if if I could derail this a little bit and just kind of get on a soapbox, that unfortunately is kind of one of the reasons why for this podcast is I want to get that information out there of, unfortunately, you're going to need to kind of look in that mirror and go, how can I tone me Mm -hmm. down a little bit so that I'm marketable? To where I want to go. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's, uh, and, and, and once I realized that too, um, that's what I did in my second enlistment. That's what I was doing. I was like, oh crap. Well, first enlistment, I was infantry. What translates into a job into the civilian world from infantry? Like nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So my second enlistment, I kind of readjusted on, uh, and, uh, tried to make myself more profit, more not profitable, but, uh, uh, uh being able to go have more options. Once you get out, but yeah. So first enlistment, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a cop. And then, um, I tried for, I don't know how many PDs that Riverside, Santa Ana, um, Santa Ana was another one. And, uh, oh, so then I missed, I missed being in the military. So then I decided to go back in like a year later. Um, but the Marine Corps wasn't, didn't really need prior service guys. Like, oh, we don't really need prior service guys. So we're going to take your rank. You're going to be, down back to corporal and you're gonna have to do the job that we want you to do it's like i want i want to go back into infantry like no we don't need infantry guys so the war is like two wars in full swing right now i was like we don't need people like we're good oh crap so i was like you know what i'm going to the army and he's like i'll show you yeah i'll show you so sure enough went across the road went across the hall to the army i was like hey on enlist like okay but (laughs) there's always a play yeah one I keep my rank and go, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. You got it. You're a Marine. Yeah. You don't even have to, I don't even have to use, do their boot camp. And I go, okay, you got your rank. It's cool. Um, want to stay in California. No, no, no. Uh, so you're a completely different <laughs> enlistee the second time through. Oh, the yeah. first time you're like, just tell yeah. me where I'm going now. Oh, you're, yeah. you're making the rules. Oh yeah. I'm making the rules now. I'm like, Oh, you want me? I know you want me. <laughs> so these are my list of demands. Um, so it came out and they, well, everything I wanted, they, um, they're like, so you would have to be reservist. Like, okay, I'm cool with being a reservist. Like I'm a personal trainer and I'll make some pretty good money. I'm like, all right. So being a reservist and I wanted to be an MP, 
but there was something wrong with my background, not my background, my uh, um, um, clearance from, because once you go into combat, you automatically get a, a clearance, um, especially what we were doing. So my clearance didn't transfer over. And uh, they were like, something's wrong with your clearance. We are gonna have, you're going to have to redo your clearance. And in the meantime, do this job and we'll put you in a, an NMP unit. So they did. They put me in a CID unit that's like a, they up in uh, close to L.A. I was living in Orange County at the time. So you, your enlistment with the Army was fully as a reservist? or Yeah, fully as a reservist. But I, um, I kind of I worked more than a reserve. I didn't just work for them like every one week in a month. Um, because I wanted to, to do more like, uh, um, I like reserve units aren't really that good, but there's a lot of reserve units that are good, but this one, they're kind of, and they're more a CID, they're more investigators and, and, and where were their support, uh, where were their, their, their command element. So like these people aren't really your top notch. These aren't shooters. These aren't ground pounders. These are just, you know, they take care of pay they take care of supply which i was i was the supply chief and their uh, uh weapons armor um but i didn't want to do that like i was infantry in the marine corps like, i was with seventh marines I was dark side you know um i want to do more all right so i got i put myself in charge of their training <laughs> so like hey this is what we're gonna do we're gonna go to pendleton we're gonna do a machine gun shoot and here's the whole plan you know command of the, everything and they're like Whoa, 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 slow down, dude. Yeah, you're like, all right, so we need qual. We need to qual, right? So we've got to get this type of training. Hey, we, we qualled three years ago. We're <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was, and even they're marching. They're marching. Like, they would, I would get in formation, and, and they'll be more, I walk to the side. Like, sergeants didn't walk in the formation. We walk off to the side, and then there was a sergeant or, you know, whoever was one that's in charge of the formation, they'll march them. And the army marches was like counting. It was like one, two, three, four. And I'm like, what the heck is this? They're like, hey, let me take it. Marines march. So I took the formation from it and I started singing. Marines sing the marching cadences. Um, but don't they refer to it as crying? <laughs> no. It, 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 not, I don't mean a derogatory. I've heard no, no, it referred no. to as crying? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Sings, the Army calls it sing songs. We, we just call it cadence. Um, but I took it and because I have to be the best, I was pretty good. I can, you know, singing cadences. And I had a bunch in my in my repertoire. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to show these people how it's done. Let me show you doggies how it's done. So I'm like, God, oh, then I started singing. And they're like, what is going on? And then the master sergeant, he goes like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. he's like, you're going to have to excuse Sergeant Martinez. He's from, he's a Marine. He's, that's the motherland from marching. So you got, everybody was like lost. I'm like, what are you looking at me? Dog? I'm lost. <laughs> like I can march. I learned how to march Marines at Corporal's Course. So, which was here on Pendleton, and uh, we had one event. We had to stand still, and we had to march our platoon that we were in charge of by not moving. We had to uh, look straight ahead. You can't turn your head as you're marching them around, so they can hear you. And there were helicopters going overhead, and they're they were like, "Learn how to use your diaphragm to march." So we learned how to use. Bring that voice from the ankles. Yeah. Oh yeah. So and like that's where I learned how to march, and I. To this day, I can still, I still, in my car, I still sing some cadences, so. Um, but yeah, the army was lost. I was like, holy crap, like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys, do you, that's not marching. Um, so that's flag number one. I was like, all right. And then uh, flag number two, so I'm walking into work one morning, and I kind of like kick the door open, but boom, 
nobody saying anything. I was like, oh, where's everybody? It's like somebody died in here. This is a funeral. And I hear somebody running. Doo, 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 doo. And he like slides. He's like, shh, there's a meeting going on. I'm like, <laughs> meeting? Uh, okay. So this is definitely different culture. Oh, yeah. And I just army, but army reserve unit too. Um, even with the, the active reserve guys that were there, there's still a different kind of environment with them. Um, yeah. And then another time too, I chew people out. Like, that's what you do in the Marine Corps. You choose, Hey, you messed up, you know, you knife hand them. And then I was doing that to one of the little army, army dudes, uh, one of the soldiers. So, so I'm telling this show, I forget, I forget what it's for. I mean, I was quick from one minute to the other. He was disrespecting a higher, you know, somebody higher or anything. That that was like my pet peeve. Like, oh yes, no, that's not a sergeant. That's a master sergeant. You were, you know, referred to him as such. You were proper greeting of the day. Just like, hey, no, what's up, shit. So I blew up on people a lot. Um, so I blew up on one of the soldiers at one point. I'm like, yeah, and then like somebody else higher than me is like, hey, hey, Martinez, calm it down. Yeah, he's like, we need to like, we can't treat him like that here. Like, we need to tone it down. You need to tone it down. And I was like. Tone it down. I am toned down. You should see the guys that are worse than me. Like, I'm not even the worst one. And I was like, oh, this is not cool, man. And then um, I was almost due up for a rotation to deploy. And I was like, I got to deploy with these Jamokes? Like, this ain't going to fly, man. Like, nah. So went to the recruiter, Marine Corps recruiter. I was like, take my rank. <laughs> Whatever you need to do, I went back in the Marine Corps. So did you have any separation time between being in the Army and going back into the Marine Corps? I didn't even finish my time in the Army. Um, it was a conditional release. So it was they released me. They released my contract on the condition that I went to the Marine Corps. Um, I don't know. That was a thing. I was like, I thought I had to finish. It was a two-year contract. And I was like on year one. Like, oh, this is going to be a long year. <laughs> um, so as I was, and it's funny because I, like, I was always taking my paperwork around to get it signed. I thought the, the CO was going to be like, oh, you're not going anywhere. Uh, we need you. Please go. Because yeah. <laughs> I was doing all kinds of stuff for them. Like, I didn't need to do. Um, there was already a supply chief there. He was already handling that spot. I was taking care of the weapons because I knew how to take care of weapons. Um, I was doing training for them. I mean, um, and I was a hand-to-hand combat instructor in the Marine Corps. So I brought that into the Army. They call it combatives. But I was teaching the Marine Corps style stuff. So I was doing all kinds of stuff for them. I was a workhorse for them. I, I like doing I like teaching it. And then I thought, I was like, man, they're not going to let me go, man. So enlisted, higher enlisted. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you can go, man. It sucks to see you go, but okay. Took it. I was in front of, I mean, I remember to this day, I remember in front of the CEO's office. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's not going to let me go. Because it's up to him. It's up to the colonel. Like, he's not going to let me go. Knock on the door. Tap, tap, tap. He's like, come in, walk in, start reporting, blah, blah, blah. Gave him this. He's like, Martinez, I was wondering when this was going to come across my desk. You don't, like... You, it's not that you don't, but we, we want you, but we just don't fit for you. Yeah. That's what it is. Like we're not, you know, you're just not a fit. Like, Oh, okay. He's like, I signed it gladly. If you ever need anything, just let me know. Like, Oh, thank you, sir. Um, yeah. So he signed in. I'm like, oh, Marine Corps, here I come. So back in the Marine Corps, what were you doing at the second go through? MP. So, so you got MP straight out of the, straight out of the gate. Yep. So straight out of the gate. That was one of my things. Um, and it's funny because I had changed recruiters. My recruiter, that, that he was like, hey, yeah, we'll get you an MP. Um, he, his time was done. So he handed me off to another recruiter. And um, that recruiter was like, yeah, 
MP spots ran out, man. Sorry, I can put you in this. Like, I don't want that. Like, I know MP spots are run out. Like, you're just saying that because you need people for that. Like, I'm not, this is my first, this is, I've been in two branches, man. This is my third enlistment. Like, I, no. And I was pretty close to being like, you know what? No, like, I'm not, I'm done. I'm going, I'm going to stay a civilian. So a buddy of mine calls me up. He's like, hey, the monitor for MPs are, is at Pendleton right now. You should go talk to him. And sure enough, I went to talk to him. I was like, uh, Master Guns, so-and-so says there's no slots on MP. He called that recruiter up, that right there. And he's like, what are you telling this Marine that there's no slots on MP? Like, I'm telling you right now, there is a spot. Give him a spot. And sure enough, gave me the spot of an MP, and I got to keep my rank as a sergeant. So what year is this that you're back in the Marine Corps? This was 2006. And again, you're still looking short-term? Just a, a no. four-year? No, this time, like, I, I don't. I don't plan it. Like everybody's like, oh, what are your, what are your plans for five years from now? I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll just cross that street when I get to it. I'll right? get to tomorrow when I get to tomorrow. Exactly. So right now I'm just trying to, I'm focused on what I need to do right now. Like and at that time, like this is a new MOS for me. So I need to do what I need to do to be the best at this. Focus on being a good MP, being a great Marine. So and that was my focus at the time. But I didn't know how far along. I didn't realize how far along until probably after like my that that enlistment. Cause you're how old at this point? Forty four. No. At, oh, at that. Uh, oh crap! How old was I? Let me see. Twenty six. Twenty eight. Yeah, twenty seven, twenty eight. So for you, the idea of still being able to get into law enforcement still seems oh, yeah. out there because you're still young enough. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just didn't plan, like, or long-term, I'm gonna, am I going to, and my wife asked me too, so what, it, what are you trying to do out of this? And I even told her, I was like, I don't know, let me get through this enlistment first, and if I get out, I'll be a cop. If I don't get out, I'll stay in and, and go career. She goes, if you stay in, you're going career, like, you're not getting out. That's too much time. We've done, you've done too much things to, to not get something out of it, to just go away empty-handed. So you will make it a career if you stay in after this enlistment. I was like, okay, sounds good. And sure enough, I stayed in, just trying to make it a career. So you got to how many years total? Um, total, uh, including the Army, I was 17. But you were medically forced out, correct? Yes, medical separation. What ended up happening there? Um, so I messed up my shoulder. I'm, I'm sure it was messed up before this, this incident. Um, but I was at a course, messed up my shoulder, and... Um, Turns out I, I tore a labrum. I don't even know what a labrum was. A med- med- uh, medical doctor was like, uh, you tore your labrum from like 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock. I'm like, thanks, doc. What's- it's, it's, it's not child time yet. What do you mean 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock? <laughs> so like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking gibberish. He's like, well, and he brings out this little thing. He's like, this is your labrum. He's like, you kind of need it. Like, it's oh, kind of important. I know. Like, oh, crap. Okay. That's why your shoulder hurts all <laughs> <Yeah>. the time. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so he goes, you need surgery. Like, oh, crap. I don't know what surgery is. So, but I was like, is this going to get me back in? Because I was, actually, they found it because I was getting ready for another course. So I finished this course. In order to go to another course, I had to get medically, you know, cleared. And um, I kind of told the doc, I was like, doc, you know, my shoulder, though, when I do this, it kind of like hurts. And he goes, he's like, okay, do this. Okay, do that, do that. And he goes like, Dude, oh. you shredded your shoulder. I'm like, what do you mean I shredded? No, I can move. Look, look I can stop moving it. <laughs> um, but. So getting ready for another, because that's what I do. Like, I wanted to be the best. Right? Anytime, hey, I've got a course coming up. I'll do it. 
So, but you have to get medically cleared. And I guess something happened some time ago. And then this time it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was. And then I had two surgeries in under a year. And that, and from that point, I wasn't able to continue doing what I was doing. And then that's where like, yeah, you can't, you need, and you need another surgery and it's not going to happen while you're on active duty. Oh, wow. So the, the, the injury prevented you from staying in the, there, there was no way to have this injury and stay in? No, because of being an MP, you have to be able to, every MP in the Marine Corps needs to be able to put on black gear and hit the road. And in order for you to put on black gear, you need to maintain your qualifications. And it's just because of my job, this is what they told me, because of your job, you can't stay in. You're not able to shoot a shotgun. You're not able to, because um, um, for the regular Marine Corps fitness stuff, you can get a waiver. Like, oh, I don't have to do pull-ups because my shoulder jacked up. Just do everything else. And as, as long as you do three pull-ups, like, you're good. Um, there are ways around the other stuff, but like your MOS specific things. There's no getting around yeah, it. There's no getting around it. It's like, put me in a freaking office for, I got five more years. Come on. They're like, nope. See ya. So from the time of diagnosis to when you, when it was fairly clear that you were not going to be able to stay in the Marine Corps, how long was it till you got out? Um, so they, that happened in 2000, I got there 2012, 2015. So was when I, uh, my first surgery. And so until I got out, so 2017, two years. At that point in time, were you start to think, was, were you starting to think beyond tomorrow at this point? Yeah. And what was your plan at that point? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. So, and it didn't. You're not the first person to say, I don't know was my yeah. plan. <laughs> it's just because they threw a monkey wrench at my plan. Like my plan was to do 20, maybe more. Um, retire, get out and go be a cop you know, some small town or, you know, or work at, uh, be like a, a security consultant for some company or whatever. Now you had started working for a law enforcement agency in North Carolina while you were stationed in Lejeune, correct? Um, now, not really. I didn't work for them, but I, so it's it kind of weird. So we had a, um, we had a program on Camp Lejeune where they take an MP and a civilian cop from PMO, which was the road guys, and they put them through the local PM, uh, law enforcement academy. So my time came up, and then I went through there, and through there I met all kinds of people from uh, Jacksonville Police Department, from Oslo Sheriff's, I mean, everywhere. Those guys are pretty awesome. Um, was it through Fletzy? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Those, no, I didn't make it to the Fletzy, though. Oh, okay. Uh, but there was a couple of the guys that I went through with. Um, they went to Fletzy, a couple of our civilian, civilian guys. Um, it was a uh, BLED is what they call them. Basic law enforcement training Academy. Uh, yeah. But it's and, not, it's not government or military no, training. It's, it's, it's civilian yeah. law enforcement. Yep. It's town. Yeah. So, but, and they were whatever, what well, post is here. That's what it is for. That's what it was for, uh, North Carolina. Um, so I may, I got a, met these guys and then we, we, we worked together on a bunch of things. Um, anytime we had anything out in town, I can call them up and be like, Hey, we got this guy. I was there. Can you go take a look for it? We worked, they were cases for us. And then, and in turn, like, Hey, we got this guy. We got him out here, but he's headed at the base right now. So we'll take it from them. Um, so yeah, there was a, um, um, you know, a, a relationship with these guys. Awesome bunch of guys. I mean, North Carolina was probably one of the best times that I had. Didn't I was upset because I got sent to North to Lejeune, North Carolina. My wife was like, <laughs> she was not happy. She's from California. Yeah, she is. 
So, but once we started living there, she absolutely loved it. And, um, oh, she loved it because of the job she had too. Was, she had a pretty nice job. So she had to give up her job here at the VA to go over there. So that was what she was most upset about is I got to give up my job at the VA. Um, she's a mental health specialist for the VA. It was like the VA over there, like a small little clinic. They're like, they're not, they don't need anybody. But she ended up getting a job for MARSOC. And she was Marsoc. Marsoc was trying out this new kind of like preventive type holistic um, um, aspect to uh, caring for the Marines, caring for the troops. From so the mental health aspect. Mental health. They had acupuncture. They had um, chiropractors. They had personal trainers, everything. And my wife was part of this um, clinic kind of aspect that they have for it. And she was the mental health specialist. She was the first mental health specialist for the MARSOC, which is freaking pretty cool. There's, she would take pictures um, and then everybody was like, oh, man, I didn't know you were MARSOC. Like, oh, no, I'm not MARSOC. My wife is MARSOC. What do you mean? Your wife is MARSOC? <laughs> well, no, no, hold on. She's, she's their wizard. She's, she works the mental health aspect up for, for them. So how many years were you in North Carolina? Five years. And when you were on, you're, you're about to cycle out, you've got this medical injury, they're going to medically retire you. We was the option just to stay there and go into that local law enforcement? We, that, well, because of my injury, um, that, that wasn't an option. Uh, at that time, like I couldn't, I like barely brush my teeth, let alone, you know, run a, run a, a pat or, you know, a physical fitness exam for any PD. Um, so at that point, once they told me like, you cannot be a cop in the Marine Corps. I was like, well, if I can't be a cop in the Marine Corps, I can't be a cop anywhere else. Like crap. What am I going to do now? And I was lost, dude. Like for a while, I was like, what am I going to do? My wife goes, go to school. I yeah, go to school for what? I love school. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was avoiding trying to go. And that was another reason why I want to retire. I was like, I don't have to go to school. Like, I don't need a degree. Like, I already got a retirement. I'll go be a post, you know, (laughs) postal worker and get another retirement in like 20 years. Like, yeah, I'm good. I don't need school. But now they're like, ha, go to school. Yeah. Damn. So what year did you get out? Uh, 2017. So. And you, when you got out, you were living in North Carolina? No, uh, we were living here. You like, had already come back. So once we, once they told us, you know, I, I even tried to fight my, um, my separation. So I went up to D.C. and I was stood tall in front of, you know, in front of a Marine Corps major. And uh, actually, he was a colonel. Um, Marine Corps colonel and two naval docks. And I my case i had a lawyer and everything but that dude sucked <laughs> he was like the worst he was he was like uh you know the the lawyers that are appointed to the yeah you get the like dumbest public defender yeah. oh yeah yeah he's the dumbest public defender he, yeah he sucked he was like all right so this is what we're gonna plead and i'm like that's not even what i'm going after dude it's like whatever man you're the specialist no he's not um so like i try to fight it and even up there like oh okay yeah yeah they didn't want to hear what i had to say like, well at the end of the day you're a li- you're more of a liability and they don't want to pay long term yeah and like they either okay and i told them I was, if you're not going to let me stay in then retire me like let me get my retirement like i have at that time i had uh, total i have 15 years including the army like oh, one we don't recognize army time like it's still a branch of service but they didn't recognize it so I was like, by the time we're done with this, I will have 15 in the Marine Corps to Army. Um, they're like, yeah, no, medical separation. There you go. Thank you. Thanks for playing. See ya. Here's your T-shirt. Oh. There's the door. So coming back from D.C., uh, you know what? And like, 
I kind of felt, I felt good being at DC because the Colonel that was there, um, I saw him in the hallway before and him and I talked to him like, Oh, sir, you know, blah, blah, blah. like, and we knew, you know, been a couple of the same, same stomping grounds. Like, Oh yeah. Had a good conversation with him outside. And, uh, I thought it went well. I was like, Oh, okay. That, that went well. And like two weeks later, paperwork came back. They, no, your medical separation. What? And then at that point it just hit me and I was like, what am I going to do now? Um, so there was really no plan. And then my wife, go to school, go to school. I was like, all right, I'll go to school. But for what? Like, what are y'all like doing? I was like, Do you have access to the GI Bill though? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Total access to the GI Bill. And even access to, um, um, folk rehab is called vocational rehabilitation for military personnel that are were injured and now need to get training or schooling and job placement. So they'll take care of you from beginning until you get a job. Like I just finished my Vogue rehab not too long where they called me up like, all right, this is your last check-in. Like, are you still doing good in the job that you're at? I'm like, yes, I'm doing great. He's like, all right, well, congratulations. You are considered um, transferred, transitioned. You're a successful transition. So good luck. If you ever need anything, let us know. I was like, oh, sweet. You actually did a short stint working with veterans or, or veteran yeah. placement. Mm -hmm. What was that about? So when I went to... Um, Casa San Marcos to do to finish my degree um, at the Veterans Center there. Like immediately, they snatched me up. Like we went to. I was talking to uh, Moses Maddox. He's he's one of the guys that worked there that are full time workers. He snatched me up. He's like, "Hey, come here. Like, what's up, man? Like, uh, want a job? As is this thing." And everybody else that I talked to, all the other students, they're like, "Oh yeah, Moses come up to me." The first thing he said was like, "You want a job?" So, <laughs> so I was like, "Cause he handpicks people." Like the crew, the veterans that are coming in for orientation, he like looks, he's like, all right, they'll make a good speaker. They'll make a good speaker. Come on, you'll do good at my, the job that I just like, he's like, let's say, you want a job? I was like, sure, I'll take a job. Like, all right, so this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be working at the veteran center. And at this vet center, the one in Cal State San Marcos, they have, um, it's a program called VTech, Veterans to Energy Career. So what we do is we take veterans that are doing uh, STEM degrees and we look for internships to place them in and their internships to jobs. So like their main thing is um, from one day you have a degree, you're receiving, walking on stage, you're getting your degree. And then the next day you're signing your acceptance letter for your new job. And they have a 100% success rate. So every, every veteran that stays, stays with the program has gotten a job either before or right after they, they graduated. And so I had to learn how to take care of veterans. Like in the Marine Corps, I was learning how to take care of Marines. That's what I did. I had to be not just a great Marine, but I had to be a great leader. And how do you become a great leader is by taking care of your troops. And so when I got this opportunity to take care of veterans, you know, cause like we come out of here and sat across the table from a lot of veterans. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm getting a degree. I was like, dude, I was in the same boat as you. Let's step by step. To see what what uh the cards that come out, I was like, all right. So being able to take care of veterans and and kind of like point them in a direction, even if it's not the same direction that we we came up, even after they graduate, like you know what, I went in a different direction. Like, well, at least you went into a direction. At least you made a choice. You had something. You saw a vision, and you weren't lost anymore. So I was able to. It was it felt great because right? you know we're lost. We go and you go onto campus and you can tell who the newer veterans are. They're like walking around like this, like. I don't know what I'm doing here, dude. Like, and they're 35 years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 35, 45, 55, like 60, you know, just walking around lost. And it's, 
Because in the military, they're like, oh, if you need this, you go to S1. If you need this, you go to S2. You need this, you need that. This is where it is. Every single base is the exact way. Like, oh, I need to go talk to my talk about my pay. Let me go to the IPAC or whatever it is. Or I need to talk about uh, my gear. Let me go to SIF or this. I know exactly where to go for whatever I need. Where it is on the base, well, it's different. But then there's big old signs that are all over the place. And you just ask anybody. But you're saying it's not like that on a college campus? <laughs> no. I'm like, where's the, oh, just go to the Veterans Center. I was like, that would be great if I knew where the Veterans Center was. Because there's no billboard for it. <laughs> no, there isn't. Um, now, does every campus have a similar type Veterans Center? They, yes. So every, just about every campus, everyone that, I, that I've talked to, um, they have a Veterans Center. Because I went from, uh, at first I went to uh, Palomar College. So first I was like, well, let me see if this college thing is for me. Let me kind of like dip my toes <laughs> in it. I'm not going to go full force. Because that's um, school. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm not. I, I got to write. I'm going to do school. Well, I'm report writing. So I was, I got pretty good at being an MP, uh, report writing. Um, so I was like, let me try it out first. So I went to community college. I was like, oh, this ain't that bad. It's like, oh, now you got to do a four-year to get your degree. I was like, okay. So I went to Cal State San Marcos. It's like right down the street. Um, so the veteran center at Palomar, it was, it was a nice veteran center for community college. Um, they had counselors and stuff that you can talk to and, uh, and then, uh, the one at Cal State San Marco was awesome too. Um, cause we had two sides to it. We had, um, where they take care of kind of like the paperwork side of the house, the admin side of the house. And then there was us where VTech was, and then we deal with like benefits, like, um, uh, report right not reports i'm talking about reports resume writing interviewing process like we didn't just help the veterans in stem programs we helped all veterans and not even just veterans we helped veterans and military affiliated so if you were a spouse if you were dependent if you were if you were on the gi bill or some type of government military help we helped you like you 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 rated us so we had all kinds of kids too so but um, the program that you referred to was specifically related VTech to STEM, specifically, yes, STEM. and getting them placed, getting them placed. Yep. So they had to be in a degree. Did they have to be in a degree program related to STEM, or we we can kind of that was the like Moses Maddox and the crew there. They 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 were so good at kind of piecing things together. Like even if you weren't in a STEM, we can tie it to a STEM, and you still get placed in kind of like a STEM environment type of play um like marketing like yeah like all companies do marketing so that we can put you with like northrop grumman like they have a marketing department but it's still kind of like a stem type and is moses a vet himself yes he is marine corps veteran so everybody most everybody there everybody that works there is uh, a veteran not trying to throw a whole bunch of extra work his way but cal state san marcos mm-hmm. the veterans assistance unit yes and moses maddox yes if anybody has any questions yes. and they're in the cal state san marcos yes, definitely. area definitely like we we really pride ourselves at um not just introducing you to the program or introducing you to the vet center because the vet and, and, and then the vet center too is kind of like we turned it into well i'm not i say we but uh they started this before i even got there they wanted it to be a hub not just I don't like to say a safe space, but like a play, a familiar space, you know, familiar ground to where you can go like, oh, class is going crazy. Let me go to the vet center. 
and it got and it was like that you know veterans they come in they just stick their even if they're just sticking their head in like what is this like oh this is a, this is your veteran center we got computers there we got ping pong table we got couches you need a quiet room in the back to where you need to study i mean we had everything anything the veterans needed cal state san marcos was great about taking care of their veterans because it's in san diego and there's like bases all around the the colleges here are pretty good at taking care of their veterans um and cal state san marcos like from what I experienced, from what I've heard, is probably one of the like, top notch. So, actually, they the veterans center where they go to like, hang out, where our computers are, where we work out of. The building was actually uh, gifted to the veterans by the Epstein family, so which is freaking cool, like a two million dollar building or something. And they they, you know, and I I can't even remember the story about why they did it, but they just they they saw that the veterans needed a place. That's just cool that they did it anyway. Yeah. So, and we were there for opening day and it was so awesome. Before that, we were like traveling again, traveling from like office to office. I was like, oh, the vets are over here. Like, oh, great. I can get up and not civilian where they're still treating. And I was like, crap, you know? So it was uh, like, I can't get away from this moving, you know? <laughs> but once we got there, you know, roots laid out, you know, solid ground. So it was cool, man. So what'd you end up getting your degree in? So I got my degree in social sciences, specializing in political science, psychology, and communications. And now you're with a due diligence company now, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. Tell me what a due diligence company does. So a due diligence company is kind of like a background investigator, but they do it for not just people. They do it for companies as well, companies and entities, um, trusts, uh, all kinds of stuff. So basically, if you, you want to get a company checked out, you know, you're about to do a deal with them or you or even if you're hiring someone like a CEO type status, we do background investigations for them, too. What's does your company seek out vets or did you just happen to cross this company? I came across this company and um, actually and it's a startup company. So uh, on the ground floor, I was one of the one of the um, newer one. Uh, yeah, one of the few that started in the beginning. I mean, when I started, when I did my interview, they had like six people. <laughs> now we're at like 20 something. So it's pretty cool. And I was the, I think the third vet that they had hired. So like from those six people, I think two of them were vets. And then when I got hired on, somebody else was hired on as well. Now I think we have, uh, our veteran population is growing and um, they're very veteran friendly. Like a couple of the, couple of the guys, they are um, reservists two or three of them i don't I don't even know how many but they're very open like hey, i got drill I was like okay you got drill so but it was when you were first getting hired it was just coincidence that you it was a coincidence it wasn't like they were seeking veterans uh, it was a coincidence i just put up um like i want to be some type of investigator so and it was through linkedin um that's another thing we do at the vet center in cal state san marco we showed you how to, we make you a linkedin ninja um so it was through LinkedIn and I found this company and I was like, oh, okay, let me hit this guy up. Like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. I just want to know a little bit about your company. And he tells me, he's like, all right, send me your resume. Like, oh, crap, I got to put my resume together real quick. I wasn't even ready. Like, I still had like a month or so before I graduated. Uh, sent him my resume. He's like, okay, when do you want to interview? Like, oh, this is moving a lot faster than I expected. <laughs> Slow down. I know. So I'm like, oh. So did the interview, did my second interview, and then um, that went well. And then they're like, so when do you want to start? Like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, so I graduate this month. And then I said, I, I got to celebrate my graduation. And my wife was like, we're going to Vegas. I'm like, oh, we got Vegas. Okay. So I gave him the date. And he goes, okay, cool. Fine. Where are they headquartered out of? They are headquartered out of I Los Angeles. 
can we say the company? Is it okay if we mention? Yeah, it? Alias Intelligence. And as far now, you work from home. Yes. Do would they allow that for most people coming in, or it is right now at the moment? Um, it is uh, remote. Everybody works remote because of COVID, or that's kind of their business model. It started well. It's it's weird because they started during COVID. Um, like I said, I mean, we're not even six months old, seven months old. I mean, this just, like I said, I was like, be, out of the first six people, I think like four of them worked together. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it started out, it was still kind of small. Um, so it, it, it was birthed in this COVID environment. And so I was like, oh, this is remote work. Um, and it just, it, everybody is remote at the moment right now. Um, so they don't have, I don't believe, I don't believe that they have a, uh, an actual structure anywhere. So, I mean, we have one of our bosses is here in Los Angeles. We have another one of our bosses. He's in New Jersey. We have people in, in DC, uh, Alaska. We have a, a female to just, um, see one of the new ones. She's from Alaska. And, uh, the bosses are like, Oh man, how remote can you get? Let's see. Can you get anybody from like Antarctica or something? So, um, it's a good environment, good company, good people. So uh, what I was the what I'm working my pathway to is if somebody happens to be listening to this and they're in the process of transitioning out, they're interested in doing due diligence work yeah. for your company. There would be the option of not having to relocate to, to California. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, because um, the, the investigation that we do, we do um, open source stuff. So we are online. Um, we go through anything, all the cases. We go through different states, even international. We do international cases too, and everything that we do, we can get online. Um, or we have a vendor that we get it through. So because of that, I mean, it's remote work. Like we don't really need to uh, go in anywhere for it. Are the owners former law enforcement or military? No. Uh, one of the owners, um, he's a lawyer. And the other one, he's just, he's, he's been doing this type of uh, work for a while. Last company he was with, and he just started this one for, for him. He started this one. This is like his baby. Uh, yeah. He's just a smart guy. Salesman. Just awesome loves people i mean it's it's different than what i expected like i expected civilian world or oh, corporate world i gotta wear a suit and tie every day like, oh, this is everybody's under p's and q's i'm the marine court higher levels are talking mm-hmm. everybody marines are right hey wake up you know pay attention to the boss okay where's that hey you know can i talk type of thing here's like a bunch of friends hanging out you know we have a meeting like every tuesday and it's like hey so what's up Tell me a good thing, a couple of good things that's happened. Oh, went to a good movie. And we're just trying to get to know each other type of thing. Um, uh, it's just a more relaxed environment than what I expected. Were your interviews remote or in person? Yeah, they were remote. And something that routinely gets asked of me is, are you seeing in the corporate world today, is it still suit and tie? or, or very, When you went and did your interviews, granted you're remote, but did you still oh, button yeah. up shirt? Yep. Or? I, wore, I wore a suit to my interviews. Did you get any feedback from the the owners is that what they're looking for or is that a little maybe too much over the top no and it's and it's going back to um the veteran center the work that i did with the veteran center we always told them um because remote interviews isn't something new like it's it, and it's something that we covered in um if remote in phone interviews or video interviews because this uh uh video resumes you know, or, or a thing. And they've been a thing for a few years now. And we, even before COVID. Mm-hmm. So we brought that, we, we kind of told people how to, like how to, just because you're in front of a camera, there's nobody in, actually in front of you. Like you still dress the part. 
because if you dress the part, you feel the part, and then you're gonna that's gonna be be able to be seen, you know, in your questioning, how you talk, how you carry yourself, like you dress nice. It's professional. You walk act accordingly. If you're not dressed apart accordingly, you will not act accordingly. So it's just because the stack, the, the deck is stacked against us in trying to tr- a successful transition. We need all the help we can get. If you feeling professional is helped by you dressing professional, and then that's what get you in the door, get your foot in the door, get you the job. Because it's not because of how you dress, but how you presented yourself, how you carried yourself. Hey, take it. So, so we try to um, try to teach people how to use everything to their to their advantage. Everything, you know. Make sure you eat. Make sure you didn't eat just right before the interview. Make sure you do this. Make sure you're in a clear head. Make sure you're not in a bad mood. Make sure, you know, if if you have appointments like uh, mental health appointments, you know try and set them up for like after like right after to where you have a clear head you got to speak whatever you speak about because and another thing about tools of better centers we take your i'm not gonna say disabilities or anything but whatever you came out of the military with we take that into account and we show you how to how to maneuver with that with no matter where it is whether you you know you have a prosthetic whether it's ptsd whether it's anxiety whether it doesn't matter what it is we will still give you the tools that you need to be successful so what's your, I've asked this a couple times now, and each time it's like, I wasn't planning for anything beyond tomorrow. Are you thinking about beyond tomorrow now? No. Still just kind of plugging yeah. along, no, lo- no long-term plans for you? No. So what brought you, because coming all the way back to the beginning, again, dedicated jiu-jitsu here in Temecula, what brought you to, to jiu-jitsu? Oh, I missed it. I missed martial arts. So I haven't stepped foot in a traditional dojo um, or a traditional gym since, uh, since my enlistment into the Marine Corps. Actually, no, 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 I didn't. Yeah. So when I was 22, 1999, so that was when I, I've gone back and visited, but to actually train, you know, wear a patch, um, 1999 was like the last time I was in a dojo and it's, it was a part of my life. It was, it was who I am. It was, you know, my identity. And even in the Marine Corps, um, I thirsted for knowledge. Everywhere I went, somebody knew something. I was like, oh, you know Sambo? Oh, te- you know, can you teach me some stuff? Oh, you know Judo? Oh, can you teach me some stuff? Oh, what's this? You know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Teach me some stuff. Oh, you know Aikido? Let's, you know, let's go. Kung Fu? Let's go do some Kung Fu stuff. Like, show me some stuff. And, um, yeah, so I've always had a, you know, a hunger for it. Like, I want to know more. I want to learn more. Um, I want to get better. I want to, you know, be like, be like Bruce Lee. You know, he really didn't have a style. He called it something because he had to call it something. Because it was a conglomeration of so many different styles. Exactly. You know, and um, the best way, the best way to be fluid like water is to know all kinds of stuff. So the more you know, the more fluid you can be, the more you can go from one side to the other. You know, it's like, oh, this, my main focus, like my main thing is protection of self and protection of others. Like that is my main thing. Everything else that strives, it comes from that. Like I want to be able, the situation came, protect myself or protect others. That's been instilled in me for like the longest time. And so in order for me to do that, I had to have a good sound mind, sound body. I had to have the techniques. I have to have, you know, the right mentality. I, you have to be, you have to be what you need to be for the moment. And if one of my, 
greatest fear in the Marine Corps. And uh, even to this day, one of my greatest fear was somebody not coming home because I didn't know how to do something. And that's why in the Marine Corps, I always had books. I was always reading books, tactics. I was always doing physical fitness. Um, and even, you know, being an MP when I was in SRT, like tactics, SWAT tactics. All right, what gear do my guys need? What gear do we need? Oh, do we, what kind of shield? Like the, our shield that we had, we're like, oh, is it a bad shield? Do we, need, do we do this kind of shield or do we like this kind of shield? What would you do? Um, like commander tactics. Like, okay, I'm not in a stack anymore. I need to know how to command my guys. Like, I need to know how to make the right decisions. Um, when I first, one thing that, like, hit me in the feels, like, like really hit me in the feels was when I, when I, uh, I would try it out for SRT. I was in during the NDOC. It was a week-long NDOC. It was, like, it was NDOC and the RSRT training combined. So it was intense. And at the end, they brought us in. Everybody that was still left, they brought us in when it went one by one. And they had a wall with pictures on it, pictures of babies, um, mothers, all kinds of loved ones. And I was like, look at that board. It's like, would you be able to go to one of the, to their faces and tell them that their loved one isn't here because you made the wrong choice or because you didn't make a choice? And I was like, holy crap. It's huge motivator. That's huge motivator. So I always had no everything. I always had to be able to do everything. But you were, and I believe you referred to it as a MAT instructor? McMap, yes. Marine Corps Martial Arts uh, Program. But they, again, don't focus on one particular style? No. So uh, McMap, so before the McMap program, we had, um, it was the hand-to-hand combat called line training. I, I was an instructor for that, too. Once they found out I was martial arts, they're like, oh, guess what? No, <laughs> you're going to teach us how to do it. I was like, no, this sucks. This isn't martial arts. Um, lion training was like, oh, you knock the guy down, you stomp on their face. I'm like, okay, uh, that's not martial arts. Yeah. Uh, but it's hand-to-hand combat. I was like, oh, it's, it's cool. It was, but I was trying not to fit that bill. Like, I, I did martial arts. Like, I don't want to do it. I want to be Marine. Like, I don't want to do martial arts anymore. But, you know, that was me. So I became instructor. And then that's when uh, McMap was starting to come around because UFC was starting to blow up. Um, everybody knew this mixed martial arts stuff was the future. So the Marine Corps jumped on that and they, they got masters from all kinds of stuff to come in and, and put it together. So I think we had a jujitsu, uh, a, a ninjutsu master come in. He gave a spiel. We had a knife a specialist. He came in and, and, and toss off. We had knife techniques, um, uh, sticks, Kali type stuff. Um, jujitsu, obviously for the ground. Uh, standing. I mean, I think uh, a couple UFC guys. Um, what was his name from Lions Den? Shamrock, Ken Shamrock. I think had like something to do. He put his two cents in it too. Uh, but going through the training, these masters will come in. I'm like, oh, who is this guy? Like some like he looks like a trucker, but this like a nice a knife specialist. This guy with the knife was insane. And he was one of the masters. You know who they are because they had a, a yellow tab mm. on their black belt. Like that was one of the guys that had input into the Marine Corps martial arts program. And the good thing about the Marine Corps martial arts program, the difference between what it was before and what they made it turned it to, it wasn't just about, oh, just kill that person. You know, the Marine Corps martial arts program had like three aspects of it. It wasn't just physical. 
It was physical, it was mental, and it was spiritual. Or whatever, it's spiritual. Um, and they focus a lot on leadership. And it's like, yeah, it's cool to be able to, you know, bash brains in, but can you lead your troops? Can you be ethical in when, when you bash their brains in? Um, will you do it, like, with a kind heart kind of type of thing? It was more internal stuff, a lot of internal stuff. It was a lot of physical stuff too, but it was a lot of internal stuff. Look at the type of person that you are. Like, we don't want somebody that can just bash skulls. We want someone that will make the right choice. Does this goal need to be bashed? And be able to teach that. And be able to be basically, a, you know, something, a person, a Marine, to be emulated by other Marines. You know, I want to be like that guy. So that was the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program, which is why, like, I forgot about it. I just saw a video not too long ago. It was one of my YouTube videos. Like, oh, man. It's like UFC fighters, um, UFC fighters try the Marine Corps martial arts. I looked at it. And, like, uh, a couple of, Brian Stan. Brian Stan was there. Um, Forrest Griffin. Uh, they went to try to test out the Marine Corps martial arts program over in um, Virginia. And Quantico, the MACE is what they call it, Martial Arts Center of Excellence. Mm. We call it um, the Jedi Temple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my time there was amazing. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Shusko, he was the one that was in charge. He was, that guy, his, his, his vernacular is, un, you know, there's no bounds to it. That guy can speak, and when he speaks, everybody listens to it. Like, oh, man. He was full force, full-hearted in this program. It was a great program. It is a great program. Um, so that kind of... Once they transitioned into that, I was like, okay, I can get down with this. I can get down with that. So I kind of kind of went full force into that. My reasoning for asking that is when you came out the last time and you had your shoulder injury, um, were you able to start training again? No. So how, how much of, well, not being able to train, did that have any impact on just your overall? Oh, I'm sure it did. Like at the time, I didn't know. At the time, um, we... Like you get, you dig yourself into a hole and you're looking around like, how did I get here? You know? Um, but I'm sure it did. Like everything, everything that kind of, everything that I was, that I am, it was like basically taken away from me. Like, okay, who the hell am I now? Like, I'm not a student. That's not what I am. Um, and I didn't realize it till not that long ago, actually. Uh, Actually, when my son came in, my son wanted to do jujitsu, and Jason, he was tattooing me. He's like, "Oh, I'm opening a gym." I'm like, "Oh, what a coincidence!" Perfect my, timing. Yeah, my son wants to get back into jujitsu. Um, so he's like, "Oh, just okay, bring him in." So I brought him in, and once I walked in through that door, I gotta be back here. I saw the mat, and it just took me back. You know, me walking into the dojo, and the first class is in there, and you just hear everybody's, you know, training hard, wanting to be the best. I'm like, oh man. And I sat down and Jason was teaching and I was like, oh man, I miss that. Oh, I miss it so much. Um, yeah, and like next week, I'm like, hey, I'm signing up, dude. <laughs> I told my wife and my wife knew once I took my son back home and she was like, how was it? Oh, it was so awesome. And she goes, you want to sign up, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. Uh, it's just, yeah, like I said, martial arts, it's a big part of me and it's just the discipline that I've gotten, um, the, the, the lifestyle, the, 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 the connection with the people that you train with, it's different, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, 
I mean, everyone should be able to should experience that. It's it's different than the military. Uh, military, we were a family, but like me, when, how I grew up in the martial arts that I grew up, we were like a clan. I got the samurai clans, mm-hmm. how they train together, how they live together. Like that was us. We were a clan. That's how we were grew up. We mean, we lived in different areas, whatever, but we were still part of the thing. We wore the patches. Like nobody talk any mess about our dojo or as you get, you get the business end, you know, this person right here. So it was just a different feeling. And especially like in loving martial arts, you know, loving like the, the Japanese samurai style thing that, that, that taught me. Um, so I didn't have that for like a long time. I got bits of it in the Marine Corps, you know, going to see what other people are like, Oh, hey, you know, some Thai, Muay Thai, like, come on, let me teach me, teach me some Muay Thai. So I got, I got like a, you know, a, a quick hit every now and then, you know, <laughs> Just enough to feed the yeah, urge. Yeah, just enough to feed the urge. And then I went to the mace, and the mace just, I was like, yeah. You know, once I became, because once you go to the mace, there's two different types of instructors in the Marine Corps. You have a, a brown tab instructors. They're just instructors. And then you have a red tab instructors. Those are the instructor trainers. We make instructors. And when you're a red tab, like Marine takes his blouse off, and you see that red tab, one, two, three, or four red tabs, you're like, oh, the red tab. We're called red tabs. That's who we are. And they are end-all, be-all when it comes to martial arts, end-all, be-all when it comes to fitness and for uh, um, nutrition and leadership. Like, that was, that was our goal. Um, yeah, so once I became a red tab, and I was kind of, like, pushed into being a red tab. I was good with being a brown tab. Like, I'm an instructor. Like, I like teaching it. Like, no, go be a red tab. Ah, that kind of looks kind of hard. And it's one of the hardest courses in the Marine Corps. You earned that tab, though. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what. You don't know exactly how what the human body can do until you're pushed past it. And that course pushes you past it. My reasoning for asking about the martial arts, because early on when you were telling your story of how important it was to your life, mm-hmm. and then where I was going with it was you had your military career taken from you yep. due to an injury. And I was kind of wondering if this environment would have been where you gravitated back to to kind of find your center yeah definitely um definitely but because they told me you're broke you're broken so i took that to heart I was like oh man i'm broken like i can't can't do anything like i i sat in front of my computer looking at dojos like oh what do i want to do oh let me do some judo oh let me do some aikido oh let me do some jiu-jitsu oh what gym should i get and i would research gyms and stuff and i'm like i can't do that but in your head you felt you you were in the mindset that I'm broken. I can't mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even signing up here. I got, I was like, what am I going to do? They're like, I'm messed up shoulder. I got two messed up shoulders. Like, but. And plus you're the, really old. Yeah. And I'm really old. <laughs> like, but the will will find a way, you know, and like, I'm fine. Like, what? Well, I've been here, what? Six, four months. Yeah. And it's working. And it's working. Still here. Not in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it. I was like, call an ambulance, please. So in wrapping up, with your experience in the military coming out, not on your terms, and then finding your way after it, and especially with your work with the veterans, what last advice would you give for anybody who's in the military, looking to cycle out, whether it's 
by choice or by force? Mm -hmm. Any last advice you'd give? Yeah, there are tons, tons of stuff, tons of avenues that anyone can take, no matter what you're trying to do. Seek out what you want. Even if it's something that you're not sure about, you know, have options. Things that you would like to do. There are programs, not not just in, in the military, in the VA, but in schools themselves. Companies will have RIP programs where they're taking, you know, uh, veteran or military guys before they get out. They take them four months before they get out, take care of that paperwork. So when they get out, they're hired on already. And it's like law enforcement guys. I know U.S. Marshals does that. Um, a couple other, uh, I, can't, I don't know if the FBI does that. Um, and even for law enforcement too, because I still keep in contact with the, the guys back in, in uh, North Carolina, they have a program now where MPs don't go through the police academy. All they do is the law portion of the police academy, and then they get everything else in training in, at the PD. So there are avenues for anything that you're trying to do. You're, and there's always something for you to do. Like, I know it may seem lost. Just figure out some type of direction and then do your research. And if you don't know, if you still don't know, ask. This isn't, you're not the only one that's been down this road. So you're not alone. You're on LinkedIn? Yes. Anybody okay to reach out to you? For Definitely. A- Anybody would need to reach out for me. I mean, like what I learned, especially at the vet center, like dealing with benefits and uh, employment and you know, dealing with companies in the corporate world because it's different. Um, yeah, I love because I love teaching. So anybody wants to reach out, anybody has any questions, I mean, anything so they can reach out. And if they reach out to me, they don't just have me, they have my social structure as well. So everybody that I learn from, everybody's willing to help because we have to take care of our own. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Yeah, Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com. And through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.